The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, put down that USB cheeseburger and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 196 with guest Rob Connery, recorded live Thursday, September 14, 2006. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and now offering a whole suite of on-site and remote classes in .NET 2.0 technologies. Online at www.franklins.net. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com Support is also provided by Inner Workings By developers, for developers You take the challenge, we check your code, you build your skills Online at www.innerworkings.com And by Code Magazine The leading independent magazine for .NET developers Online at www.code-magazine.com and now, the man who spent 18.9 hours of his life writing these stupid jokes, Carl Franklin! Thank you very much. This is Carl Franklin in New London, Connecticut, coming to you with another stellar episode of .NET Rocks. My uh, co-thwart... Co-thwart? Is that a word? <laughs> no, it's not. It is now. My co-thwart out in Vancouver, British Columbia, Richard Campbell. Hi, Richard. How are you, man? I'm doing fine. I hate to remind you this, but this is show 196. The wow. big 200 is coming up. It is. We have something very special planned for that. Uh, if you're a fan, a diehard fan, or even a new fan, you'll probably want to hear that one. Well, I have fond memories of 100, so I imagine 200 should be crazy. We're going to try to not have any memories of 200. If we're successful, we won't remember a thing after we're done <laughs> recording. Uh, that's the goal, anyway. <laughs> Richard, oh my do you, goodness. You, you have an email to read this I week? I do have an email and a particularly relevant one for today's show. This email is from John Galloway and it says, Rob Connery recently released Subsonic, a really interesting approach to doing a Ruby on Rails-ish development speed and simplicity while keeping close to the ASP.NET way of doing things. At the heart of it is a custom build provider that automatically generates zero-code data access layer. And he's got a screencast of it. I've got a link for that. 
And he's got sort of a short bio here. It says he's the chief architect of the Commerce Starter Kit. Oh, my goodness. An ASP.NET MVP makes me a brother and spoke at Mix 06, which we did not. I think you'd have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. And I agreed with John completely because this show has Rob Connery on it. How about that? As a matter of fact, it does. But before we bring him on, uh, we have some announcements to make. Uh, first, the .NET 3.0 2006 Roadshow is coming to a city near you this October. There is simply no substitute for being trained by the world's leading experts in any subject, and the same holds true for the .NET 3.0 framework. These powerhouse speakers, Juval Lowy, Michelle LaRue Bustamante, and Brian Noyes, go on a multi-city roadshow, which you can check out at www.net3roadshow.com in October for Dr. Dobbs Journal. They offer profound insight on the technology and its applications with material that goes well beyond anything that can be found using conventional training sources, often presenting original techniques and breakthroughs. In addition to the frontal presentations, they use numerous conceptual demos and original tools and utilities. The demos are not only useful in the seminar, but afterwards serving as a starting point for new projects and as a rich reference and samples resource. This is one road show you won't want to miss. Register today with a promotional code 6RBLOG, all caps, and save $200. Go to www.net3roadshow.com. Uh, our good that's friend, the number three. That's right. Net number three roadshow.com. And our good friend, Jabal Lowy, who is going to be on DNR TV this week, actually talking about .NET 3.0 is one of the speakers there. It's basically, you know, he and Michelle and Brian, iDesign. It's the iDesign Roadshow, basically. For sure. And all former guests of .NET Rocks. Of course they are. You know, I think Jamal may have done his first training class in in the United States through Franklin's Net. Do you really? believe that? Yep. Talented man. I knew him when. <laughs> <laughs> and all regional directors, too. Yeah, excellent. Also, of course, we would be remiss if we did not mention the .NET Rocks Tech Ed Barcelona Sweepstakes. Woohoo! <laughs> this is happening. Uh, Tech Ed Europe is happening. Go to shrinkster.com slash HHH. Easy to understand there. Easy to remember. November 7th through 10th. And uh, basically, this is Tech Ed Europe developers. It's the developer side of Tech Ed Europe in Barcelona, Spain. And we're going. We're going, and we want to bring you to. How? Well, just go to our website and uh, answer a few questions. Go to .netrocks.com slash Barcelona or shrinkster.com HHI or click on the big Barcelona icon on our website. Basically, we want you to answer a couple of questions uh, that we're going to use for demographic data, blah, blah, blah. Very easy. You get one entry per email address per week. You have to answer a question every week about the current week's show. And uh, we're going to draw a winner every week. Winners get their choice of swag uh, item from the Useless Crap Store. But on October 24th, we're going to pick a winner, a big winner, from all of the weekly winners. And So uh, what was last week's question, or what was this week's question? Yeah, last week's question was, what was the first tool Roy Osharov used to learn about regular expressions? Ooh, I know this one. What is it? Espresso. Yeah, Espresso. Most everybody got it right. And yes. The Great win- tool, too. Yeah. And the winner, whom we picked from the people who had the question right at random, is Jens Winter from Germany. 
Germany. Germany. Congratulations, Jens. Congratulations. We'll be contacting you soon, or you can contact us, whichever, or both. Take your pick. Get whatever <laughs> you want from our store, and you're in the running for the big one. In the running for the big one. Yeah. Now, of course, what's coming up immediately, like, we're not going to be here week. next week. Yeah, we're not going to be here. Uh, we'll have a show. Don't worry. Okay. Yeah, we're already we're planning events these days. We're very organized. We are organized. Uh, we're going to DevReach, <laughs> DevReach.com in Bulgaria. Yeah, Sofia, Bulgaria. Yeah, what a fabulous place. I've been reading up on it, trying to get my Bulgarian history. Uh, did you know, I just learned this today, that in Bulgaria, uh, when you're doing a presentation, you look out in the audience and people are shaking their head no. And it actually means yes. Up and down is no in Bulgaria. Side to side is yes. Did you know that? I did not know that. I did not know that either. And I learned it today from somebody. And watch, she's playing a trick on me, so I'll say it on the air, and somebody's going to come, Carl, you've been had. So <laughs> That's what I, I'm thinking. It's anecdotal at this point, but we'll see when we get there. Yeah. And uh, also, we're going to be immediately after that, uh, October 14th. By the way, the uh, dev reach is October 9th and 10th. And uh, we're going to be on October 14th, Saturday, at the Tulsa Tech Fest in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. TulsaTechFest.com. Mark Miller's going to be there. Richard's going to be there. I'm going to be there. We're going to do DNR TV. Maybe we'll do Mondays. I don't know. We'll figure it out. All I know is when the three of us are in the same room, it can be trouble. Bad things can happen. Bad things happen. Yeah. Okay. So let's get to our guest, Rob Connery. Rob is the founder and chief architect of the Commerce Starter Kit, as Richard said, for ASP.NET 2.0, and Subsonic, which is an RAD toolkit for ASP.NET. He's also one of the contributing authors to O'Reilly's PayPal Hacks and creator of PayPal's Solutions Directory using both ASP.NET and Ruby on Rails. As uh, Also, as Richard said, he's a Microsoft ASP.NET MVP, recipient of the 2005 PayPal eBay Star Developer Award, and an official Microsoft certified trainer. He also works as a freelance developer, software architect, consultant, trainer, and writer. He's currently talking to us live from Hawaii, from the island of Kauai. He lives there with his wife and two daughters, Maddie and Ruby. Ruby? <laughs> There's a pun in here somewhere. Yeah. Hi, Rob. Welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Nice talking to you guys. So which came first, Ruby or Ruby? <laughs> Uh, well, she came first, and oddly enough, Rails came second, believe it or not. I think Adam Kogan has a kid named Ruby, too, doesn't, doesn't yes, he? Yes, he has a daughter named Ruby as well. Isn't that funny? Yeah. But I haven't met a child named Rails yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now, I find this very interesting that Subsonic, you are a Ruby on Rails guy and an ASP.NET guy. And you did not implement Ruby in the CLR as others have done, but rather created a Ruby on Rail esque way of doing ASP.NET. Yeah, and the interesting thing that's come about when I sort of started this project was, you know, I got a lot of backlash um, from sort of the convert the people who've converted to Rails. Let's just say. And started using more Rails, and they, they came at me immediately and said, what you've done is nothing like Rails. Um, so I want to clarify, <laughs> I, I want to clarify that um, I'm not trying to reinvent Rails. Rather, what I'm trying to do is take the simplicity of the project lifecycle, development cycle, everything, and kind of pump that into, into the ASP world, because I like ASP. I like C Sharp. I like .NET. Um, so yeah, that's where this has come about. 
Maybe we need to explain to the listener more about exactly what Ruby on Rails is. Sure. So they can understand what the relationship is with Subsonic. Sure. Well, Ruby on Rails, it's, it's a platform developed by, and I could never say his name right, I'm not even going to try it, um, by, by a really cool European guy. Anyway, he, <laughs> he developed this uh, platform that basically takes Ruby as a language. It's been a, around for a very long time. Um, I think longer than VB, as a matter of fact. I'm not too sure about that. But anyway, it's been around for a long time, and he went ahead and he spun up this framework um, that has uh, three core facets to it um, that, that make it really, really dynamic and fast. It uses a model view controller uh, a scheme. It uses uh, ORM, and it's got a bunch of uh, really cool script generators and, and uh, dynamic effects that make these Web 2.0 websites. So basically, when you create um, a Ruby on Rails website, you, you have a command line open, um, or a command prompt open, and you basically script out some commands, and it builds your website for you. And, and as you cruise along, you, you, you adhere to really good principles like unit testing um, and, and separation of the UI to the code to the business rules, and you can slam out a site really quick. And in addition, it has this really neat feature called scaffolding, which at first I was scratching my head over. I was thinking, what is scaffolding? But, um, and why do they call it that? But when you, when you point Ruby, at, uh, Ruby on Rails, when you point it to a database table, you can enter a command and tell it to scaffold that table. And what it does is it creates a full editor scheme for you, um, a grid and a form and all this other stuff. And the first time I used it, I thought, well, that's a neat trick. Um, I didn't yeah. quite understand it. And I just thought it was a trick. But then when I read this book, um, I think it was Dave Fowler's book on getting up on Rails, um, he mentioned that the term scaffolding is not supposed to be, you know, some weird, you know, amalgamation of the English language. It's supposed to literally mean it's the scaffolding around your site to help you get data in the database to check to make sure everything is right. But it's never supposed to be public-facing. It's just a tool for you as a developer to get your site going. And that clicked in my head. And one of the things that really made me think about this was... Um, uh, you know, when you're programming a language or creating a language, let's say from scratch, they always say a good language um, programs itself. And I thought, wow, you know, you can translate that to a website. You know, a good website framework or you know your website itself should help build itself. And that's where I started down this whole subsonic thing. I thought, you know, we really can come out with a set of just basic, very very simple tools to help websites build themselves. And that's where we end up with this. So now let's talk about subsonic. Sure. And in a bit of how this is different and similar at the same time. What Subsonic is, is just, it's a set of tools. I started out originally trying to basically use Ruby on Rails as kind of a, oh, a guideline. And, and I want to take, you know, I want to take their MVC framework. I want to take a bunch of other things and sort of port it in. And I started simply, you know, I, I, I created the active record based on what they've done. Um, I created an active record class that we can use for the objects and do a little ORM stuff. Then I created a scaffold server control that does pretty much the same thing the scaffold does. And then I kind of stopped right there for a little bit, and I wanted to see what people's reaction was. And it was pretty, pretty positive for the most part. And then, as I was mentioning, I, I got some backlash from people, you know, that, that, that oh, no, this is not Rails. And, and so I sort of stopped, and I said, well, you know, that I'm, I, it's, it's pointless to try and bring Rails in. So what I'm going to do now is branch Subsonic into kind of things that I wish I always had in terms of a tool set, like scaffolding is definitely one. Um, a, a really cool OR scheme is another one, but I'm not an ORM nut. I, I don't believe in 100% in ORM. I think it's ridiculous. Um, 
However, there, there's a time and a place for it, and there's a time and a place for stored procedures and views. So I branched it out a little bit to, to embrace stored procedures and views. Um, and I also wanted to put in um, uh, some really good support for scripting of your database and versioning and what they call migrations. So what you have with Subsonic is a core set of generators and, and utility classes that do just that. They do scripting and code generation for you. You have a build provider that, that I think Richard mentioned at the beginning of the show that basically writes code for you at build time that builds out a full-blown class library for you with collections. It wraps your SPs in a stored procedures class so you can call your SPs directly. Um, it also wraps views in uh, read-only classes. So you're basically up and coding the minute you create your site and the minute you configure in the web config the subsonic class. Okay. That's uh, that sounds pretty interesting. I mean, it w- I guess let's get into the differences. Like, what's different about it than than Rails? Because you know, so far you're the 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 very they sound like very generic features. You know, sort of it gets you up and running, creates a, a framework for you. What's different about it? Well, Rails itself is a full blown web framework that you know it it ha- it handles the page requests for you. It, it channels uh, you know requests through controllers. It has a UI mockup. The whole thing. That's the strength of Rails right there, the model yeah. view controller, what they call the action pack. Yeah. Um, I, you know, we don't do any of that. And, and so that's one primary difference. We let ASP handle it Because you're all. ASP net-based, yeah. I, exactly. Um, and, you know, another primary difference is, you know, we don't, you don't need to have a command line open to do any of this. You know, the, it, it's not meant to take over the experience. It's, mm. it's definitely meant to be a utility belt. And the way I characterized it to a friend of mine when we were talking the other day is that this the specialty of Subsonic is to take a project lifecycle, at least the very beginning of it, when you've got prototyping and, and proof of concept, and rev it real fast. And then at some point, you know, you're going to need to mutate the project into a very much more structured, much more rigorous um, sort of, uh, oh, much more rigorous process is the best way to put it. Yeah. And, and Subsonic can help you with that. So, you know, and a lot of projects die in, in the early lifecycle because they can't get their vision they can't get the vision shown to the stakeholders or hmm. shown to the investors quick enough. Yeah. And so hopefully this will help with that. Right. So that's the primary difference. So how about other, um, how does it compare to other tools, you know, like uh, Declare It or some other code generation programs that are out there? Well, just code generators in general. Would you, would you say that Subsonic is a code generator? Yeah, I, I would say it's a code generator. Um, I, I, I don't like saying that, but we do a little bit of code generation, definitely. The difference, um, the difference is probably splitting hairs, to be honest with you, um, but I think it's significant. Um, I've, used, I've, used, uh, I've used all kinds of code generators. You know, my favorite is CodeSmith because I can go in and make my own templates right. um, pretty easily. Um, but the more popular ones out there, I, I, I generated up uh, Declare it once. I used LLBL Gen Pro, um, and I also used, um, oh, what's it called, .NET Tears. I think that's a CodeSmith template. Mm, yeah. And they're, they're interesting. The problem with with code generation is a very interesting one in that you can go nuts with it. You, you know, you can create this massive mountains of code and, and not understand any of it. And I think that's a major problem with new developers coming in. They see, you know, these really cool tools that can output stuff for you and they do, but the, it's not supported. What it's what output is, is not necessarily supported in terms of like the way a software company would support software. The code it generates, you know, the generator itself and how it does it might be, but not the code, if that makes any sense. Mm. So 
so you, you have these developers generating thousands and thousands and thousands of lines of code, and all of a sudden they're looking at it going, what is this? So the difference here is that we've tried to separate everything as cleanly, um, like Active Record handles all the, all the persistence, but you don't need to use it if you don't want to. Um, if you take a look at the code that we generate for stored procedure calls, it's, a very, it's about six lines per stored procedure, depending on how many parameters you have, and it's standard data access code. So it's, a, you know, we really struggle to try and not make a framework or not make an overarching system. It's just tools to help you out. Hmm. Biggest concern I have with code generation, and we all get into this situation when you start generating a lot of code, is you start getting errors inside the generated code. Yep. And and then you're in this, you know, why am I debugging this? I don't know what's going on here. And so the, I, get, I get your idea that you want to minimize the amount of code that's generated and really just take those framework elements away. Don't replace things. Right. Well, you know, an example, I don't mean to pick on any generators, and I hope I don't come across that way, but... I, I used I used .NET Tears once, and um, I, it was funny. I thought it was appropriately named. Um, you know, they they spell it Tears as in layers. You know, and I, you know, tears were coming to my eyes because I generated it off one of my one of my tables or one of my databases. And I had I think I had fifteen tables and about five views and maybe twenty stored procedures. Let's say, and um, I did a line count on how much code it was gener- it generated. And first off, it generated I think. I want to say 48 separate classes with wow. interfaces and, and all these. And it might, they might have changed at this point, but it was so much code. And I tried to compile, and it didn't compile. And I had eight errors in there. And I looked, I looked through the code, and I thought, oh, it's a naming. It was a naming error because it, like, um, it didn't like a certain character or something. I can't remember. I think I used a reserved word. Yeah. But it didn't like a certain you know, naming convention. I thought, well, is there a way around it? You know, is there a way around this at all? I mean, I can't, it's a legacy sure. system. I can't change it. And... Nothing I could do. I had to crawl in the template and figure out where it was. And oh, yeah, I just I gave up. I couldn't use it. And and the, you know that's okay. That, things like that happen. If you play by their rules, you can get by with it. But you know I did a line count on the code, and I think it came out to like twenty three thousand lines of code. And I thought, man, just to talk to a database that is unreal. Unreal. Yeah. <laughs> well, is that all they were doing? I mean, you'd have to write a lot of code to a lot of stupid code to talk to a database with twenty three thousand lines of code. Well, that, yeah, it's a good point you bring up. They must have been generating a lot of helper utilities and classes and things, too. Yeah, well, they definitely were. And they are abstracting everything through lots of different layers, and, and uh, they, they were making factory patterns and so on. They, they, what they were doing, if I, if I remember correctly, is they were generating a factory for every single table class. Yeah. And I, mean, I thought that was interesting. I don't know if they still do that approach, and I hope I'm, I hope I'm saying it properly, but I did. I, you know, I saw this you know, table name slash factory thing in there, and I was like, oh, my goodness, I don't yeah. need a factory for every table. That's kind of silly. Yeah. So, so your approach, I guess you would call it stripped down. Very stripped down. Um, for a given class, you know, we, I counted the lines on uh, the product class the other day, and it was, I think, uh, 36. And we basically have some property declarations, um, you know, some core using statements for, you know, we use C-sharp. Mm. And, um, and that's that. And the active record class at the core does all the heavy lifting. Um, and someone said to me the other day, you know, they, have, they were having some problems generating the code. And... Um, you know, they were like, we can't use this. We, 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 we need to name our tables, you know, this, I think it was group was one of the names of their tables, which is a reserve word in SQL Server. Yeah. And, um, and I said, you know, no problem. You know, you can output the code. You don't need to use the build provider. And build providers are kind of verboten in medium trust anyway. Mm-hmm. And we have a batch class generator tool. Output it. You know, you can, see the, you can see the code that's generated right there. And if you don't like it, change it. You can change any naming you want. 
and do whatever you like. In fact, the templates that we use with our latest release here, the templates that we use to generate the code are completely overridable. So you can change whatever you like, you know, and if you don't, if you don't want to use it, don't use it. Right. And this sounds like it came directly from the pain you had in tears. Yeah, that and a couple others. You know, I used Gentle as well, which is an ORM framework. And one of the things that got me was the performance on it was unbelievably slow. And I don't mean, again, to slam anybody on this, but I just thought, you know, how, how can people ascribe to, to this ORM model when you have this monolithic, massive DLL in the middle of you and your database? So I used that with the amount of code generated for tiers, and I thought there's got to be a happy medium point. I know you're going to take a hit performance-wise, by generating this inline SQL um, before you go to the database, but let's minimize that, and that's that was our mandate, and that's what we've done. Yeah, the uh, I I see that Scott Watermazik is contributing to Subsonic. Yeah, how's that working out? Great, man. That guy, I couldn't believe it. He sent me an email, and you see the name in the email list, and you're like, uh, okay, so I guess I got a <laughs> reply to this guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I met him. Uh, I met him actually at Mix. It was kind of funny. I. I, I was just kind of walking along the, the there was a party at, at Mix 06 and I was downstairs and I had a drink in my hand. I was a little bit loopy and I looked at this guy's name badge and I thought, what kind of name is that? You know, good grief. <laughs> and I couldn't read it right. And then I went, oh my God, that's Scott Watermazic. And I, you know, and I, I went over and said hello. And I reminded him of that the other day. It was kind of funny. But yeah, he's been contributing. And boy, that, that guy's got a lot of ideas and he is really, really nails. He is great. And so yeah. he's taken what we've done and, and, um, really polished it up uh, extremely. And he's actually held very tightly to my mandate of simplicity and, and no configuration, although we've let a little bit kind of come in. But, um, yeah, he's been great. Looking at the... I mean, I really like your concept behind scaffolding, which obviously came from the Ruby on Rails side of things. And it's funny, you know, it seems evident that we all need this. And, and I realize we always have this. We create some infrastructure for managing and manipulating the data that we're playing with when we're building these apps. Mm-hmm. It just seems apparent that we ought to have it just part of our development environment and dynamically generate it as we need it. Uh, and it looks like you put some cycles into applying that into the subsonic space as well. How's that going? Good, good. You know, it's. Um, I was listening to your show the other day, and you used the term dog fooding, and it's yeah. one that I hate. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know who came up with it, but it, it makes it makes perfect sense. And um, so, before I turned out subsonic, you know, I, we we plugged it into the commerce starter kit. Um, and we turned it out for beta three. Uh, I shouldn't say we plugged in Subsonic. We plugged in its progenitor, its uh, its first rev, and it was met with a lot of really really positive support. People loved the concept of being able to quickly rev their tools and, and rev the site, and so that kind of took off. And and I started using it in other projects, and I was just blown away at how quickly I could get stuff out the door. And I was just telling a, a friend of mine um, who's also a client yesterday. Um, he asked me how it was going, and is it working right? And do you really think it's going to stand up in the real world? And I said, well, I've already used it for two projects. One was an emergency project where a friend called me and said, bail me out, bail me out. And I was able to go in and change. I rewrote the entire database, changed up you know, a couple stored procedures, and I had a prototype up and running in three days, which was, which was wonderful for me, and I really helped him out. So the, the utility aspect of this thing is great. Getting things up and running real quick is great. Um, it's really working well for me, and I really enjoy it. And, and yeah, it's it's working out really well. Hey, so tell me about Tron. 
<laughs> oh gosh, great. <laughs> Oh, uh, so I had one of those funny, uh, you must be reading my blog. I had one of those days where I don't know what was wrong. I got a stomach bug and I was upstairs and I usually curl up on the couch and watch really bad movies. And for some reason, Tron was calling to me and I don't know why that just shows you how bad off I was. So I, I, uh, I put it in and, um, oh geez. And uh, this is embarrassing. Oh, come I don't on. Know. I you got to tell I, the story. No, I saw some. I saw a lot of parallels. I saw so many fun. Like at first, I thought, well, you know, this is Disney's wacky attempt to try and speak the geek speak back in the late seventies. And right. I thought, what was geek speak back then? But they actually had some pretty stiflingly relevant, relevant commentary. And I think one of the things I mentioned in my blog was that um, there was a scene where you know the bad guy Sark is trying to trying to track down you know the good guy Tron and. And he, he, he runs into a, this wall that this guy has put up to try and, you know, let Tron get away. And, and the wall is up, and Sark, Sark looks at it. He can't understand what's going on. And he just turns around and says, bring in the logic probe. <laughs> and that's just wonderful. Like, what do you do with a logic probe? And all of a sudden, it was like, you know, Windows Genuine Advantage kind of came out. Of nowhere. I'm like, oh, dear. And sure enough, it broke down these incoherent zealot walls of this nonsensical kind of, you know, <laughs> User zealotry and broke it down, and they took down the guardian. And I don't know it's <laughs> that. But the other thing that really, really made me laugh about Tron was that you know they they regarded what they called users, but were actually developers. You know, right. they regarded them as gods. And I yeah. thought, wow, what an interesting thing. You know, what if your programs could worship you? I mean, maybe that would be the goal <laughs> of a good developer is to write a program that would actually worship him, you know? <laughs> well, you know, as long as we're being philosophical here, I think that guys in particular, men, uh, tend to be attracted to programming because it's the only way that we can create intelligence, right? I mean, like women, <laughs> women, you know, they, they got their act together. They can just, there comes a kid and reproduce, and they have this intelligent life, and we just sort of sit around on the sidelines and pretend we had something to do with it. But, you know, this is a way that we can actually create these little intelligences you know you come yep. back to in a couple of years and you see the only problem is it's a trick because unlike children which pretty much grow by themselves you, you that doesn't happen with your programs you have nope. to actually yeah you have to make them grow yep you know too funny i i don't know i kind of walked away from tron i thought i gotta i gotta blog about this and i thought wait a minute what am i thinking I'm like nah come on it'll be fun reading so oh it'll come back and haunt you i guarantee it <laughs> I, well it already has there you go <laughs> case in point yeah well hold that thought right there rob because i just want to mention right now that this portion of dotnet rocks is brought to you by our friends at data dynamics makers of ActiveReports.net. data dynamics has been uh, with us since the very beginning of .NET Rocks. They believed in us, and they get a real kick out of it when people come up to them and tell them at trade shows and whatever, you know, thanks for sponsoring .NET Rocks. I know that we've turned a lot of people on to ActiveReports.net. Uh, One of the greatest features of uh, this product is their Access Report Upsizer. Right, Richard? Absolutely. The only way to take an Access Report into the real world. Yeah, it's great stuff. You know, it's easy to use. It's all powerful, and it's not going to break the bank either. Check it out at datadynamics.com.
Rob, we were talking earlier about the differences between Ruby on Rails and uh, and what you've done with Subsonic. And I guess the big thing is since you have ASP.NET available to you, you haven't worried about the UI elements at all. You're just taking advantage of what ASP.NET can do for you. Yeah, exactly right. And again, the concept here is to get your development cycle shortened as, as quickly as possible. So I was reading, uh, I was reading Phil um, Hawk's, uh blog the other day, and, and I read his blogs religiously, uh, the same with John Galloway's. And one of the interesting things he brought up was about uh, premature optimization, is what he called it. Huh. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good no one. alternative connotations there at all. Yeah, no, I know. Well, the funny thing is, is, the concept that he brought up was, you know, when you start coding a project, do you start off immediately optimizing everything, optimizing, you know, your calls, making sure everything's scalable, or do you optimize your development cycles and your developers' time? He brought up, you know, all, you know. A lot of interesting stuff about that. I thought, wow, you know, this is really putting in really good words here, uh, the concept I'm going after, because, you know, it's pointless in my eyes to try and optimize from the get-go because you don't know what you have until you start building it. Right. So you're better off in terms of spending your stakeholders' money, in terms of building your product, to optimize your developer's time, which is what this tool does, and that's kind of where, where I'm going with it all. The other spin of optimizing developer time being get something to the customer as quickly as possible. Right. Absolutely. It's definitely a business-focused kind of thing, which if right. anybody had to characterize my development life, I'm definitely business-centric. That's good. We need more people like that. <laughs> well, you know, the guys that have to sweep up after me would probably disagree <laughs> with you, but... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think I think though that a lot of developers need to have that business sense, you know, yeah. to to stay sharp in the market, you know. Yep, very true. But I, you know, it comes down to you really the the parts you worked on were the plumbing parts. You didn't go into the the decorative parts of building a website at all. That getting those classes built, not having to worry about those things, so that and you show this in your screen class, I think very well that. I went through these steps to hook up my database, get my ORM layer up and running. So look, here are my classes. I can bind them to a grid and you've got results. Exactly. Um, exactly. And, and I should say that, you know, we, uh, I always say we, it, 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 well, I probably should say we. I, you it, know, we is a good thing to say when you're working in a community. So <laughs> I buy into your we. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I, don't ever wanna, I don't ever want to make it seem like I'm trying to spread any sort of blame for mistakes. I mean, a lot of the concepts are mine. But anyway, the... The um, we definitely addressed the UI aspect of this with our latest release. We have two main releases. One is the core DLL and a sample website. The second that we just made is a starter site um, using using the uh, ASP.NET export template feature, um, and we exported a Subsonic starter site into a VSI. Mm. And basically, what I what I did with that is I, I hooked up a site completely to Northwind, um, and then. I went in and, and grabbed all the nice UI elements like a CSS classes and master pages, stuff that I've used for the last, I want to say, 20 projects over and over. Like, um, you know, everyone seems to want to use a three-column elastic um, div framework, you know, that, that has three columns and in the middle is elastic. It seems like yeah. that's just ubiquitous. So I went in and put in that CSS and nothing else, just, you know, that. And, you know, no one wants to use Times New Roman. People usually use some sort of thing like Verdana or whatever. So I went in and put in that. And um, some other stuff, too. And, and so I just basically, and I also hooked up the ASP.NET membership system, so you didn't have to go configure it yourself. 
mm-hmm. and I put in a bunch of SQL scripts, and I put in all the utility stuff, you know, our batch generators and so on, and I created a VSI for it, and you can download it, and that doesn't necessarily touch on the UI point you were raising. However, we wanted to at least give people a leg up, you know, so when they start to build a site, they don't have to go through and do all this hookup stuff, and that saves people about, I would say, seven hours maybe of, of just perfecting all that stuff. Yeah. Well, and you know, the bigger thing is you made a lot of dis- little decisions there that really come from the experience you've had in projects yeah. so that you're able to say, hey, you know, you're going to need this and you're going to need this and you're going to need this and you're going to need this. And look, if you knew all those answers, okay, you can knock it out in seven hours. Yeah. But most of us don't know those answers. That's true. And you saved us a lot of wandering around in the desert trying to figure out, well, what should this look like? The amount of hours I burned on customers just picking a font or <laughs> going with some different layouts, yeah. struggling with CSS, interacting with the guy in the black turtleneck to get a look to a site. <laughs> you know that guy? Uh, yeah, I know that guy. I don't like that guy. <laughs> that guy scares me. Those are the guys that hand you the Photoshop screen and prints and say, can you do this? And can you, know, you do what? this? Yeah, when it will be up. Yeah. You did this like- in Maya. That's a 3D rendering app. How did you think I was going to do this with a style sheet? <laughs> Why is this taking so long? My brother yeah, could do this in Access. Oh my gosh, that's great. That guy! <laughs> yeah, I like I when we can guy. get rid of that guy. And I think you really <laughs> define for me what a starter kit is all about. Here are 15 decisions that I'm making for you because I've done all these projects and known that every time I needed these things. So I'm just going to save you a whole ton of pain. All of a sudden, what? 25 listeners in black turtlenecks are very pissed off at Richard right, right now. <laughs> what have I got against black turtlenecks? Well, I have, to, I have to say all too often, you know, I've, I've, I've wandered, you know, when I, when I worked in a, a couple of companies, you know, I've wandered into the cube next door and, and the guy's saying, look at this cool thing I made, you know, and kicks up this web app and, you know, it's splashed across, you know, you see this grid that's, you know, with the horrible, you know, black grid outlines, and I'm just staring at this just crazy UI, because, you know, your application is what it looks like, and that's the first impression people get. And for that reason, they associate, you know, this framework data grid with this just Times New Roman to the code that's underneath it. Anyway, I wanted to help people get away from that, you know, really, and so I, you know, we put in a, a skin, a default skin for grid views, so that, you know, when you want to grid view something and show people um, it's set up, and, and the sample queries I put in there are Atlas, so that you know when nice. you go to the at- page, you can say, oh, I'll just cut and paste his Atlas code, and then I'll be off working. The whole site's wired up for Atlas, too. And So we, wow. you know, what we call it is a Web 2.0-enabled starter kit, so you, and we have Scriptaculous in there and photo or, um, prototype. Scriptaculous? Yeah. Scriptaculous, so tell me about that. Scriptaculous is a JavaScript library that Ruby on Rails ships with, um, and it's basically a set of, I want to say, 30 to 40 behaviors um, that basically make things disappear, move around, do all kinds of neat, just neat screen effects. And, cool. um, yeah, it's so and implemented as behaviors in JavaScript so that they're pretty transparent to take advantage of. Yeah, exactly right. And, you know, we, we just wired it in in case people want to learn more about it and use it. And, of course, there's alternatives out there. But, anyway, my point is that, you know, hopefully I'm getting those engineers out there, if they use this site, this will just be one little step more to getting their concept bought into because you've got nice-looking Verdana. You've got alternating colors on your grids that, you know, are not offensively wired up, you know, looking like wireframe glasses. And, yeah. And why, why is it the default formatting is ugly? <laughs> I've always wondered that. And not only that, but you go to auto-format on these things, and those are hideous. 
Yeah, yeah you have the are. choice between ugly, really ugly, and damn, you must yeah. be blind. Uh, I, I think I'll go with the day glow theme here. <laughs> the Miami Vice. Yeah. Come on. Hey, you know, you mentioned Atlas, and I did read John Galloway's blog where he said that Subsonic should be packaged with Atlas and shipped because the two give each other love. I don't know where you stay in that, uh, where you sit in that position. Well, you know, it's interesting. It's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. And he did, uh, he did tag it with crazy talk. Um, I should <laughs> <laughs> um, and while they're at it, they should cast you in gold. Yeah. <laughs> sure. It's a fine line between fan and stalker right there. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> I had to let John, I had to let John into develop on the project so he, you know, wouldn't come and harm my family. <laughs> John, just kidding. John, I'm kidding if you're listening. No, really, we're kidding, John. Yeah. John brings up a very valid point that Atlas is the Ajax glitter that will make Subsonic really uh, up its UI potential. And Subsonic is providing that plumbing that will make Atlas a breeze to use. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I, I found myself agreeing with that in a different way. I mean, in terms of shipping it, that would be great. I mean, not just, uh, uh, not for me, just because I think that. The promise of ASP 2.0 has always been 70, 70% code reduction. Right. If I can be perfectly blunt and honest, the way they went about it was with a bat. You know, they, they, just said, <laughs> they just said, here's this thing called a SQL data source and an object data source and blah, blah, blah. Those are great, but I would never in my right mind want to do that. I mean, it just completely shatters the concept of, you know, separating the UI elements to have like, yeah. SQL splashed in your page. Right. Whatever. I mean, people can argue about it. Whatever gets the job done has always been my mandate. But I have to say the promise to me of ASP2.0 was kind of just under the hood, wiring up. And to me, the fundamental thing that a database and a website, I mean, the fundamental thing should be they should just knit. They should just talk. And I, and I was kind of blown away that they didn't have some form of a way of doing this. And I guess I, you know, I thought about it. I talked to my friends about it. And they said, well, Microsoft... They've always been this way where they will not insist on a certain way of doing things. They always want to leave it up to you, right. which, is a, which is a great thing. It, it really is. But at the same For time, them. I really, yeah, right. They should definitely have gone that extra couple steps to just say, look, you, you want your, your site hooked up to your database? Great. I mean, they did it in VB6, you know, with, the, with those data controls, you know. Yeah, they took some heat to for do. that, though, certainly. Yeah. yeah, whenever they do actually dictate method, we punish them for it. And whenever they don't dictate method, yeah, we punish them for it. <laughs> right, well, it's true. Um, hold that thought there, uh, because I want to mention that this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Inner Workings. Inside Visual Studio 2005, you can take any number of programming challenges on topics as varied as .NET security, message queuing, XML and web services, data binding, and object-oriented fundamentals. And once you've completed a drill, the developer interface will judge your code, giving you a thumbs up or thumbs down. And if you fail, it shows where you went wrong and where you can improve your skills. So I encourage you to go to www.innerworkings.com, download the free drills, take them for a test spin, and upgrade your skills today. So I'm going to ask you, uh, success stories with 
subsonic. Give me a story about how you went to actually use this thing and uh, got some had good experiences. Yeah, sure. Um, it just happened three weeks ago. Uh, there's a guy who lives over here on the island with me, a very successful Java programmer, who I ran into at the beach one day. It was kind of funny. And turns out he's on the board of uh, the Sun um, Sun Security um, Task Force, I guess is what they call it. Um, he just wrote photos.java.com. I mean, the guy is a really high-flying Java developer. And uh, his client came to him, um, basically said, I have this .NET application. Um, the developer turns out to be an ape, and I, I need it fixed or else I'm going to get fired. <laughs> Jim, Jim, yeah, Jim called me up and he said, I have 10 days to turn this application around. And um, I can't tell you anything about it or else, you know, the typical thing. I'd sure. have to kill you. But yeah. the thing about it is that I, I looked at this and it was written in VB, VB.net. Um, and I'm a C-sharp guy, so I had to sit there and kind of look through this guy's code. And I'm not kidding. He had 350-line-plus um, methods. And he's oh, my, wow. Yeah, MySQL backend, which is great. I mean, I like MySQL a lot. Um, but the way he was doing it was he had inline SQL with um, appended-in values. He wasn't using parameters. The whole thing, and mm, I show, yeah. the first thing I did is I crashed their site and, uh, you know, using, uh, using some injection attacks, and they were, uh, they were like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> so I had to go in there, and I, they, they, they made sure that I did not recreate anything. They said, just bandage, bandage what this guy has. By the sixth day, I just put my foot down, and I said, no way, it cannot be done. I have to redo it. And he just, my buddy Jim, just started to laugh and said, this is on your shoulders. If you think you can do it, do it. I had four days, and I went in there, completely rewrote the database. Um, it was only six or seven tables. And I added a couple stored procedures in to do the heavy lifting, and I had the whole site reworked, redone completely in three days. Wow, and, wow. Yeah, and I, I could never have done that before. I mean, and, yeah, and sure, of course, you, you started at the right spot. You started at the database, get the model right, right. Yep. and then point the dial at it, let it go. Yep. And it'll, it takes care of all of that plumbing, and then it's just get to work on the UI elements. Yep, and, now, you know, and right now they're coming back to us with phase two, and the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to break that build provider out of there. I don't want it running live. Um, mm. I'm going to I'm going to output the classes using the batch generator into a separate assembly where it should be. Yeah. And then you know just kind of pick it up and run from there. And it served its purpose. I have to say though, one of the cool things about using that build provider is like you're saying, Rich. You know, you start with the database. And as you as you change a, a, a column, you think, oh, that should be a GUID or that should be a whatever or add a column. You go in, change your table. It literally went like this. I go in, I change the design, I'd save down my table, I go back to my project, recompile my website, and there it was in my object layer just that fast. Wow. Like, good gravy, that was crazy. And it was really nice. <laughs> you just Especially, think you knew how much work you used to do when you made those changes. Oh, yeah. Even using a code generator, it was like, you know, enough to preclude me from using the code generator because I knew I had to jump out, go to CodeSmith run my thing, copy and paste, and get back in. And it's just enough of a pain in the butt when you're going that quickly and under that much stress. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I don't think we've given enough time to the whole concept of what you've done with the build provider in Subsonic, because I think it's one of your strengths uh, of this, uh, this implementation. Yeah, I definitely believe that. And again, you know, a lot of people 
a lot of people have come back to me and said, listen, you can't use this in medium trust. You can't blah, 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 blah. And what I don't think I've been vocal about enough is that the bill provider is not meant to run live. It is yes. not meant to... Even though meant, you've done it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've done it to get me out of a jam, but it's meant to get you off the ground as quickly as possible. And then when you're done, it's basically like stamping. You say, all right, I'll put these classes, generate this stuff now. Now that, I've, now that I know my, my um, database is correct and all these things, are, I'm ready for fate or you know, call this uh, milestone complete, I'll put the classes, put them in the separate assembly where they should be, and then, then call it a day. And that's, yeah. what, that's what it's all about. You know, there's an interesting truth here about the idea of prototyping, uh, sort of rapid development approaches to get that first version out to the customer to, to make that insane deadline. And a number of apps that just stop there. They never get really past the prototype stage. There's definitely differences in the way you build and maintain applications after those initial iterations. Once we're sure the way we want the app to work, what it should look like, we start getting customers on it. Now let's go back and and tidy some things up and get into that regular build process. Uh, What does Subsonic do differently when you're going to get into that mode? Well, the interesting thing, I mean, this gets into a lot of project philosophy, and I've been on projects, you know, like uh, I did a project at SBC with literally 55 people on the project team, and that was ridiculous. And you know, <laughs> we followed, we followed their, their patent process through a project that took forever to get the design cycle done, and everything mm. was done on the whiteboard and blah, 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 and you end up with a design doc, and you have to follow it explicitly. Right. All the way down to, you know, the, the, um, you know, the Maverick guy calling me on the phone, yelling at me, telling me to change stuff on the fly while he's giving a demo. So, nice. Well, the thing about it is now, what the, the thing that I find interesting about this is that it, it addresses a project development cycle point that I've always had a problem with, and that is when you get the kickoff meeting together or when you get the, the design meetings together, you've got people in a room staring at each other, a lot of people staring at the ceiling, conceptualizing yep. what this site is going to look like. Right. You know, what's, how's this going to happen? What, how are we going to flow this? Or, you know, what's this data going to look like? Whatever. What you can do now is you can rev this in, in, in a really nice cyclical fashion, in true kind of rad XP development that you get an idea to sit down and crank it out and put it up on a page is like, you know, I'd say maybe 20% of the, 10% of the time even. And then you can go back to that meeting and say, well, here's what I got. And you can actually see it, and yeah. you can show it to your client, and that is worth so much more when they can actually see the output than, you know, than, than trying to wave your arms and having PowerPoints and whatnot, in my eyes. Well, and, and I guess the other alternative here, or the other point here is, and then you don't have to throw that away when they say, okay, go ahead, build it. Right. Yes, exactly. That, right. that work is now usable to go to the full production inversion. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Unlike things that we've had to deal with in the past. Well, how many times have I mocked up a report in Excel? You know, <laughs> those kinds, you know, exactly that sort of thing. You mock up things in, a non, in the non-real environment so that you give them the visual aid, but all that work is essentially discarded as design work to go and do the real implementation. The thing is, I don't, I don't know about you, but I've had one too many um, projects where the business people don't understand what's involved in, in the development and so you're starting with a database, right? And you're working on that for a couple of days, and you're like, "Where is it?" Well, I'm work- I'm doing the database first, you know. So, uh, well, where's the site? Okay, we'll have a site, but you know, we got to do the database, and then you're, and then they're hitting the same thing that you're working on, right? So, like, you've got it's not even online yet. There's no 
publicly accessible URL and you get a call because they're trying to show it to somebody while you're working on it, right? I think this is what you alluded to before, Rob. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would get calls at 2 o'clock in the morning. It doesn't work. Uh, can you be a little more explicit? <laughs> it doesn't f***ing work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how many times have we heard those calls? Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, changing gears a little bit here, you talked a bit about your subsonic starter kit, but you also have another product, which I think came first, called Commerce Starter Kit. Yeah, um, that's it's closing in on a year now that that, that thing has been out. Um, and yeah, that's how I kind of got started in this whole open source world. And I'm not sure if it's a good or a bad thing. My my wife is looking at our income drop steadily because I'm working on all these other things, but I'm really enjoying the community aspect of it all. But Right. And, yep. and I guess the, I'm not sure what all the elements are here. I see PayPal factors significantly into the equation. Yes. Um, the starter kit is a joint venture between PayPal and Microsoft. Um, when I say joint venture, it was kind of a, their joint concept. And they kind of went fishing around for people who were crazy enough Ooh, to do word, it. Ooh, bad word. Bad word. Ooh. What did I say? Fishing. Ooh, bad <laughs> word. Oh. It's like, oh, no, what did I say? Did I swear? There's no fishing. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they, yeah, right. There's no fishing. PayPal got it. They, um, you know, they, well, I knew, I knew one of the uh, tech evangelists, uh, David Nielsen at PayPal, and he said, you know, I know a guy who's crazy enough to do this. And so he called me up one day and I said, sure, you know, I'll take a swing at it. And um, we made a new starter kit based, you know, based loosely on the iBuySpy portal, which was the starter kit for 1.1. Yeah, Mike Amundsen did that. Yeah. And, um, and so we kind of went from there, except, you know, in the middle of it, I kind of looked around, you know, what they're asking for, which is a real simple site. And I said, guys, wait a minute, you know, and I talked to uh, um, uh, the contact I had, Brian Goldfarb at Microsoft, and I said, you know, you're really doing a disservice to people if you make this kind of a, a small, silly sort of application. I mean, I know it's a starter kit, but, you know, starter kit should have really solid architecture, and uh, at least as a starting point, not, not kind of this like, oh, object data source, SQL data source here that people are going to throw away. Yeah, you, right. you want to get them off on the right foot. That's the whole point. Yeah, and so what we did was with the starter kit, um, we started out as a collection of services using the provider model, and we had uh, you know five core services, you know shopping cart, catalog, etc., and kind of built it on that. And a lot of people were really vexed when we we came out with it because they they looked at it and said, you know, half the people are like, "This is great! Oh my gosh, I can't believe you know you guys have taken taken it seriously this time." Let's put it that way. Not right. The other one wasn't serious, but you know what I'm saying. It's right, yeah. right. But the other people who'd use it were like, "What in the world? How do I change?" This is funny. How do I change a field and have it in the in my database and have it show on the screen? Hmm. And that that just kind of kicked off this long, long development cycle where we've gotten to where we are today, which is a really it's a I think it's a good challenger for OS commerce in terms of a, a commerce site in the open source space. It's almost a good challenger for a lot of the commercial products out there. Hmm. So uh, and it's free. Community support. Wow. Where can we get it? You can go to commercestarterkit.org. Beautiful. Um, the support is at our forums.commercestarterkit.org site and um, I'm spooky tooth is my is my username on there. <laughs> nice. And I'm happy to answer anybody's questions if they have any any thoughts. And you currently beta 3 on version 2. Yep, that's right. And I'm trying to finish up Subsonic where this Subsonic was born out of the starter kit and our effort to make life simpler for people who needed to tweak stuff in the starter kit. We're going to plumb it back in. In fact, I'm in the middle of doing that right now, and then we're going to 
we're going to stitch up a few holes and put in some web services, and then off we go. We're done with 2.0 and the starter kit. Well, and that line you used right there of how do I add a column to a table and it appears on my grid, that's what Subsonic does beautifully. That's right. Mm. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Well, Rob, any last thoughts or anything else you want to push or, or talk about before we go? Yeah, one thing I was hoping to mention is a lot of people have asked, what system do you need or what are the requirements to run Subsonic on and on? Um, there's, we, we support the major databases out there, in fact, more. Um, we, the Subsonic supports SQL, of course, SQL Server, um, 2000 and 2005. It supports the Enterprise Library. Um, it also supports MySQL, although not as, with not as many features because mm. there's just some things you can't do. Um, but, you know, obviously we push SQL Server because it's the easiest to use and that's what we've developed on. Um, but we also have developed it for Enterprise Library because that's what the starter kit, Commerce Starter Kit uses. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty much wide open. We, I welcome comments. This thing has been shaped and built because of user input. Um, guys like John Galloway and, and others have come in and said, do this, and I do it. And that's where we're going with this. All right. Well, Rob Connery, thank you very much for uh, coming on the show, telling us all about your stuff. We, we're looking forward to checking it out ourselves. Subsonic. Yeah, well, thank, thank you so much for having me. It was a very good time. All right. And we'll see you next week on .NET Rock. .NET Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com slash dotnetrocks. .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. All music heard on .NET Rocks, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl never sleeps. .NET Rocks is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back. Time.